All right, we are back. Uh, we promised in the last segment we were going to go local and, and get some uh, get some opinions from uh, the eclectic bunch of people that work down here at KDVS and, and provide you, dear listener, with the various types of music genres that you enjoy. And I thought we would start off with KDVS's musicologist, Rick Ely, who instructs uh, all of our, our budding DJs as to what they need to know about music. So uh, let's, get, let's get input from him. Rick, are you there? Yes. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, now, did you have a chance to, per- to peruse 1,000 recordings to hear before you die? I did, yes. I kind of feel like, you know how some of those social conservatives, when they talk about affirmative action and how it's, uh, it can be such a bad thing, that, and they give you that doomsday scenario of you on your, on your deathbed, and um, perhaps a minority surgeon there is about to operate on you, and you're worried about him being qualified for the job? Well, I think that in this case, many of the many of the records of the last two or three decades have benefited from an affirmative action policy <laughs> to appear on this list. Really? Yeah. Well, you know. Now, see, I have a, I have a personal bias, being that guys my age look at the last fifteen years and kind of consider them lost. But, but well, uh, for sure. But I under, I can understand that. But um, and and I really think of uh, the years 1965 through 68 as something that in terms of commercial music um, that you will never see again, um, at least particularly in rock and roll, and then uh, jazz throughout the 50s and 60s as well. Let me ask you, Tom Moon has done, you know, the impossible, try to put a thousand recordings, you know, (laughs) in a list, but... uh, uh, well, can you, where do you agree with him? Where do you disagree briefly? And, and give me give me a couple of picks of, that you would you would have put on such a list. Okay, well, there, I'd say that for every like one record that I'm really happy to see on this list, um, like for instance, I was really happy to see that all of the the you know canonized Krautrock forebears or or pioneers of the late '60s and '70s, Can, Faust, and Noy. Those are kind of obscure in terms of uh, you know mainstream media still, but they were all on there, and, and they were all good records from them on there. And but for every one of those, I'd see about fifteen or you know at least ten that would make me kind of cringe. Um, and uh, I know the one that I told you about immediately that kind of got me uh, um, really suspicious about just uh, what are this guy's credentials? I um, I know that. He listed one Stooges album, which is Raw Power, and I've always, you know, I've always felt that that was the most, the only actual flawed album that they made, just <laughs> because um, the the recording, the mixing, was just done so poorly by David Bowie. A lot of young punk rockers like to say that that's the best Stooges album because, well, it's called Raw Power, and there's a song on it called Search and Destroy, and I guess it, it's kind of like. Uh, cliched and, and iconic, but it's it's really not as satisfying a listen as the, either of the other two Stooges albums, and particularly Funhouse, which is a landmark album that I think is just, you know, that without peer in rock and roll history. I think it's the best album, and uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of other, a lot of music critics and historians that that also truly believe that. Um, you know, it's the process of recording that album was um, another another kind of unparalleled uh, achievement. Just that these guys were 
so incredibly focused that they they did so many they had they spent all the time and all the money necessary to lay down tracks and tracks and tracks so many takes of every single part of every song not so that they would become overproduced but so that they would be perfect and uh they really got into a zone of like just spiritually and you know together as a band it was uh, i i think the most complete band performance in rock and roll history it's uh it certainly stands up next to the greatest classical works and the greatest jazz works i think it's of a rock and roll album i think people would think of rock and roll as kind of uh of lower stature than these other other genres of music that have stood the test of decades and perhaps centuries that's the that's the record that i would put up next to any of those all right yeah so that belongs on there All right. um, instead of raw power. All right. Well, give me give me one more, and then we're going to go to the DJ list and see what everybody else has got to say. Okay. I would love to have Tom Moon listen to the album Over the Edge by The Wipers um, because it's, um, it's at an intersection of punk and, I guess, some sort of retro psychedelic music, and yet it's something actually so unprecedented and futuristic at the time in 1982 when it was recorded um and it's got great guitar virtuosity a really kind of hendrix feel but it's still like you know like i said it's still at that intersection of punk and other styles of music so that it's got that direct impact of punk rock it's just a powerful and beautiful dark and mysterious album that is um is very very influential in you know the pioneering edges of underground music today so i think it's it's uh certainly going to stand the test of time as it has for the last uh oh 27 years so far now all right ricky lee katie is his own musicologist uh weighs in on the matter of what recordings you really ought to hear before you die rick rick thanks thank you and uh, as promised, let's talk to some of our other fellows here at uh, KDVS to see how they weigh in on this issue of a thousand recordings you should hear before you die. Well, in fact, I've got a half dozen emails of, the, of selections here. First off with A.J. Ramirez, who is the co-music director at KDVS. He suggests that a recording you might want to hear before you die is Let It Be, a 1984 recording by The Replacements. In the folk music department is Robin Fox, the alternating host of the Saturday Morning Folk Show, who suggests that uh, a recording you need to hear before you die would be the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I presume that's their debut album. Weighing in the jazz department was Brendan, who suggested that you need to hear Mingus by Mingus. And I'm embarrassed to say I'm not sure what genre this belongs to, but Brian Ang weighed in with uh, John Cage's Three... Dances. The rock and roll department, uh, Elisa Rocket, uh, voted for Built for Speed, album by the Stray Cats. Hip hop apparently had a tie, couldn't decide between either Slum Village Fantastic from Fantastic Volume 1 or JD Waves from Donuts. Uh, we put a, a call out to uh, KXJZ, our good friend Gary Chu, to weigh in on this, but we haven't heard back from Gary yet, so we'll have to defer his, uh, his reply. But uh, Tony King from the Midtown Monthly did weigh in. Tony, who did a fine piece for the Midtown uh, Monthly a few months back about K- 
KDVS, weighed in with uh, two choices. These would be either Forever Changes by Love, 1967 classic, or Better Can't Make You Better by, I guess it's Lilies? Or might that be Lillis? I should have clarified. Anyway, uh, the album Can't Make You Better from 1967. Now, I, you know, Love was an interesting choice for me because I remember their, their hit My Little Red Book back from 1967. Anyway, there's a few other choices for you to consider uh, among uh, some recordings you ought to hear before you die. All right, let's, uh, let's do a couple of obituaries as we like to do in the third segment. We've not been able to get Lisa Pease online to talk about the passing of Yuri Nosenko or Robert Mayhew. But courtesy of The Week magazine, we have a couple of uh, unusual obituaries that I think warrant some comment. The first, Frank Mundus who passed away at age 83 in Hawaii. He was a deep-sea fisherman who specialized in hunting sharks. Mr. Mundus reportedly ran a charter boat business on Long Island, New York, according to Newsday. He, catering, he catered to thrill-seekers who wanted to join him in killing sharks. Apparently, he killed great whites, threshers, makos, blues, whatever it was, he caught it and killed it. Among his assorted customers, which presumably uh, consisted, consisted mainly of uh, people with masculinity issues, or in, just in general were jackasses, was a young author named Peter Benchley. Benchley published a book you might have heard about, which later was made into a movie called Jaws, about a monster shark terrorizing a seaside community. Well, apparently Benchley was inspired by Captain Mundus. And I must say, we're going to have to get the National Geographic film documentarian Mike Bonna to return to this program. Uh, Mike Bonna spent a lot of time in the water photographing sharks. I'm sure he's going to have a word to say about uh, Frank Mundus, who used to go out uh, catering to, quote, thrill-seekers, unquote, and kill sharks. On a more upbeat uh, note, we'd like to, to uh, chronicle the passing of uh, a man named Ralph Pleisted. He died last week at age 80. And... Uh, he has a very interesting history. He reached the North Pole, this was, mind you, back in 1968, by taking snowmobiles. Plasted was an insurance agent in St. Paul, Minnesota, who was an avid outdoorsman and loved snowmobiles. He once reportedly drove one nonstop for 14 hours in temperatures as low as 41 below zero. A friend suggested, jokingly, that if he thought snowmobiles were so great, he ought to take one to the North Pole. Well, evidently placed it, thought that was a pretty good idea. So he organized a preliminary expedition, which was forced back when warm weather came early, but uh, went out the next year from Ward Hunt Island in Canada, on, uh, on, along with five companions on snowmobiles with extra fuel tanks, and by God, went to the North Pole. His position was verified by United States Air Force weather plane. Now, what's, what's interesting about this is that uh, the alleged... Conqueror of the North Pole, Robert Perry, was a fraud. Through some chicanery we talked about in a show a few years back, uh, Perry falsely claimed that he made it to the North Pole. His, his claims simply do not stand up to scrutiny, in spite of the fact that National Geographic, who sponsored his expedition back in 1909, has gone to bat for him more than once to say, well, you know, may, maybe he did. Curiously, uh, once Perry's claim to the North Pole was sort of called into question, this meant that, well, since no one cared to repeat it until Ralph Plasted did in 1968 on a snowmobile, well, Ralph Plasted is probably the first man 
to go to the North Pole. Curiously, in 1967, Plaisted recalled the National Geographic Society told him, no insurance man from Minnesota is going to make it to the North Pole with a bunch of old cronies. Well, strike a blow for old cronies. And uh, speaking of jackasses, let's close the show with some comments uh, from a few. First off, right-wing radio host and all-round jackass Michael Savage apparently recently played songs by the Dead Kennedys to make fun of Ted Kennedy's brain tumor, which he rounded out by making cancer jokes. I've met two people personally that have had run-ins with Michael Savage, and, uh, and I'm told in no uncertain terms, he's a most unpleasant individual. In a similar vein, I had to laugh at Bill O'Reilly's letter that was in Parade Magazine last Sunday. you got to love a guy that starts out an essay like this. Sometimes I wonder what my father would think of my success. When he was dying of cancer in August 1985, he knew I'd had success as a TV reporter in New York. But of course, he had no idea of what was to come. My greatest success lay more than a decade away. The article goes on to talk about how O'Reilly suspects that his father knew that he was destined for greatness. And of course, by God, he achieved it. This essay was evidently, evidently adapted from uh, O'Reilly's new book, A Bold, Fresh Piece of Humanity. Now, of course, last June, Newsweek mocked his book's title, and O'Reilly went on the air then to denounce the Newsweek editor, John Meekham, saying, quote, Newsweek's really gone off the rails with its far-left posture. For destroying a once-fine magazine, Meekham is a pinhead. Commented Newsweek, far-left? Well, we debate that. Pinhead? Well, having started this literary discussion, Newsweek felt duty-bound to offer some more constructive criticism of Bill O'Reilly. So they suggested a couple of alternative titles for his book. Instead of a bold, fresh piece of humanity, they suggested a big steaming lump of male vanity, with an alternate choice being a deep, barking voice of inanity. I think we're just about out of time, and uh, I think before we go, I should offer Mr. McMillan here a chance to weigh in on the 1,000 recordings to hear before you die. What would be your choice, sir? Songs of Love and Hate by Leonard Cohen. And yours? Well, my choice? Uh, well, I, I think it's one that'd be appropriate for this election year. This, of course, is the immortal James Brown doing Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And we've been gone. We've been being bad, talked about. Well, we'll have to see what uh, Todd's choice is after the handoff here. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time.